Hello, Alpine. How are you doing? You're like, who are you? <laughs> Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Hey, my name is Chris Brown, and I am the executive pastor here at Alpine Chapel. And uh, right now, the first thing that's on my mind is I cannot believe that Dave gets to follow that kind of worship every week. That is insane. And so can you guys just help me in just thanking our worship team for coming in each and every week? They come in each and every week, not only prepared, but also prayed up and anointed and ready to just serve us in that way. And it's, it's, it's powerful. Everyone say this with me. Nothing great, Nothing great. was ever achieved, achieved. without enthusiasm. And that is so true. It's a great quote by Ralph Waldo Emerson, and uh, it's true. Think about all the major accomplishments that have happened throughout the years, and think about behind that, that accomplishment, that achievement, that, that new initiative, if it was successful, it had some enthusiasm behind it. Now, it doesn't mean that it has to be like cheerleading enthusiasm, but there's some kind of enthusiasm behind it. And today is going to be no different. You're going to get out of church what you put into church, amen? Right, so it's just like anything else. You're going to get out of this what you put into it. Now, let me start off by saying, just in the lobby, I had a few people come up to me and say, hey, you know, what's your name, whatever, first time I'd met them, and they, I tell them my name, and I say, my name's Chris Brown. <laughs> so, as you can imagine, the first thing that I hear back from them, like the rapper, um, so if you're one of those people, I'm not offended by it, but it happens to me everywhere I go. So what I thought what I would do is just suck the elephant out of the room and let you know that I know that I'm very well aware that I'm not that Chris Brown. <laughs> I'm very well aware of that. I, I'm, there's going to be no dancing and no singing this weekend at Alpine Chapel, I promise you. That is for your benefit, I promise. There's some things you just can't unsee, you know? Don't try to visualize it, you'll burn your eyes out. But you guys have no idea what it's like to live life as let down Chris Brown. <laughs> Checking into a hotel, a rental car, my wife, it's always let down Chris Brown. <laughs> well, like I said, I am the executive pastor uh, here. I've been here for about seven months. So a lot of times I'm behind the scenes, uh, kind of making some things happen. And today they let me out of the cage. So I get to do Labor Day, which is like one of the biggest weekends ever in church. <laughs> Right up there with 4th of July. <laughs> so let me tell you a little bit about me. Today I want to do a couple things. Obviously I want to get to the scriptures. We're going to be in Matthew 25 today. But I also want to introduce myself a little bit so you guys can get to know me so you don't see a stranger looking around, looking at how well we're you know, executing on the weekends. That's kind of my job is the boring execution stuff. Dave gets to be the inspiring guy. But uh, this is my family right here. Um, that is uh, my wife of 19 years. And uh, her name is Holly. She's my Holly spirit, if you will. It's my cheesy Christian joke for the day. Uh, those are my three little chitlins, uh, Max, Jack, and Annie. They're 14, 13, and 11. Uh, I didn't know this about my boys, um, Max and Jack, but I prophetically named them Max and Jack because my life has been completely maxed out and jacked up ever since they've been born. <laughs> uh, I don't have any favorite kids, I promise. I just happen to have a perfect daughter. 
and happened to have an extra picture of my daughter, of her being baptized by my beloved, uh, my bride. And one thing about my wife and I that may be interesting, I'm trying to think of all the interesting things that I could tell you about my wife and I. Um, we were set to get married in the summer of the year 2000. And uh, for some of you who weren't born during that time, there was a year 2000, way back in the day. Can't even believe I'm saying that. How whack is that? But we were supposed to get married summer of 2000. And then there was this computer thing that all the whole world was going to end on December 31st of 1999. That all the computers were going to crash and we were all going to die. And some of you that weren't born yet would have never been born, if you know what I'm saying. So um, I was like, I'm not going out like that. Summer of 2000, my wife and I moved our wedding date up to December 18th of 1999 because of Y2K. <laughs> I was like, I'm getting 12 good days in, baby. You know what I'm saying? But um, anyway, possibly TMI, I'm not quite sure. I know we're just trying to get to know each other. But uh, anyway, we are a Y2K marriage, and uh, it's been great. And the greatest news that you're going to hear all morning is the world did not end on January 1 of 2000. Anyway, today I thought it might be good for us to, I'm going to share a little bit of my story for us to, to get to know each other a little bit and then kind of share with you just two lessons, two lessons I've learned on my journey. Of course, we've been in this sermon series called Kingdom Over Everything. It's not just a sermon series, but this has been like an anthem for our church. I don't know if it's been an anthem for your life. Those of you that have been tuned in, and some of you are here every week, some of you are here very little. Uh, some of you are on Facebook Live or uh, online, and uh, some of you may be just here for the first time, so you don't know what I'm talking about, but we're on this kingdom over everything. We're like, I don't know, seven, eight weeks into this thing. We took a pause last week for community stuff, um, but well, I was kind of going to go in a different direction, but I'm like, one thing we didn't talk about, community over religion, we talked about community over circumstances, I mean, the community, uh, kingdom over this, kingdom over that, and one thing we did not talk about that we're going to talk about today that touches every aspect of our life, no matter how old you are, that is kingdom over our finances. Kingdom over our finances. And the whole room goes silent. They're like, oh, snap. Check, please. I'm out, right? But remember, you've already agreed with me that, man, anything that has been accomplished has been with enthusiasm. So you guys already said it. So we're in. <laughs> Trapped you. Listen, here's the deal. I, I firmly believe that it is malpractice, spiritual negligence, to lead a church and not talk about finances. I literally think it's like going to the doctor and say, I'm going to check out everything in you, but I'm not going to check out your heart. It literally touches every aspect of our life, and it's the hardest thing for us to manage. And it's talked about in the scriptures more than anything else. So why wouldn't we talk about it? So a couple times a year, we say, you know what? We're going to talk about it a couple times a year. And there's sometimes you go to church, and it's like going to the doctor, and you get this like medicine, and you feel better immediately, and you're like, oh, it was a great doctor visit. There's some times where they got to do some poking, there's some prodding, there's some all sorts of different things that happen. Some of y'all's doctor's appointments we're not going to talk about. But sometimes it doesn't feel good. Sometimes there's a little bit of triage involved. Sometimes there's a little bit of peeling back the layers so today, it's not going to be a little touchy-feely and like, oh, everyone's going to walk out. I'm, I'm a more than a conqueror, right? <laughs> I am going to kind of get us back up. I want us to be victorious when we leave here, but there is some triage here for us to get better because we want to make sure that we're as much like Jesus as we can be, right? 
kingdom over our finances. How many of you can remember your 11-year-old birthday? <laughs> Not very many. 12-year-olds are like, what's up? Right? <laughs> Not many of us can remember our 11-year-old birthday. I don't know for you if it was like, I don't know, um, a Sony Walkman that you got for your 11-year-old birthday, or maybe some Z Cavarici parachute pants. Uh, some of you, it's like a black and white TV. I don't know. But uh, I can remember my 11-year-old birthday like it was yesterday. I was uh, sitting down in a dark, empty, roach-infested apartment. It's Ocean Villas Apartments on the corner of Edwards and Warner on the wrong side of Huntington Beach, apartment 214. And I can remember sitting there in absolute silence. I remember being scared and confused. And I can remember staring out this second-story balcony window. And of course, I wanted my birthday to look much differently. I was hoping for bounce houses and friends over and laughter and perhaps a few presents, maybe a little bit of ice cream cake. But instead, this 11-year-old boy was replaying the last several years of his life. You see, I didn't have life figured out, but I knew that several father figures, four father figures going to jail to that point was not normal. I knew that bouncing around from abuse shelter to abuse shelter was not part of the family dream. And sleeping in the back seat of a 1979 Dodge Diplomat, going to 17 different schools to that point, something was messed up. I didn't know what it was, I didn't know who to blame, but I knew something was messed up. In between evictions, we actually would sleep underneath the bridge right there at Edwards and Warner. A couple years ago, I spoke at an event called Catalyst. Uh, out there in LA. It was the first time I returned out to that area. And I decided to stay one extra day to go back and just reflect on how good God has been. And I can remember jumping this little half wall and going and actually taking a picture of the bridge where I slept for weeks at a time. Right there is literally right, it looks exactly the same as it did when I was there. I would sleep there for weeks at a time using my backpack as a pillow. And I'd get up every morning to the sound of the traffic overhead, woke me up like a perfect alarm clock every morning and I would walk to school, brush my teeth there at school. I'm sitting there in this apartment going, this is not normal, and I can remember turning my attention from looking out the balcony window to the kitchen. Nothing in the kitchen. No canned goods, no paper products, no dishes, nothing. Except for my mom, my hero. Hard-working single mom trying to make ends meet, and I can remember the look on her face. I mean, it's etched in my mind forever. This stoic stare of hopelessness as she just stared at the back wall. I had one big realization that day. I don't know who's at fault, but I know this. When I'm older one day, there's no way it's going down like this. I'm never doing this to my family. The curse ends here, baby. It's showtime in the next generation. And I was resolved. Went through middle school, went through high school, have no idea how, but by the grace of God. Ended up going to a Christian college. I didn't know who Jesus was, but they said they'd pay me $50,000 to play baseball. And I said, for $50,000, I'd love Jesus all day long. <laughs> <laughs> so I went to a Christian college. Two weeks into a Christian college, I found Jesus as my savior. Pretty cool stuff, right? 
Not only did I find Jesus, I found the Holy Spirit there. It was amazing. And then we graduated. And we got two good jobs. And I'm like, see? It ain't going to happen. Not on my watch. Uh-uh. Oh, I started to get a little prideful, walking around with a little bit of strut. We, we, we made good money, and then I, we lived on a fraction of what we earned, which means we're a unicorn. And uh, of course, we know everything about adulthood that we could ever need to know because we're 22. <laughs> and we're going through life, and it's easy. And we got this money in the account, and we're like, dang, we're awesome. And we said, what should we do with this money? And we're like, hey, let's do this. Let's buy a house, fix it up, and sell it. It's called flipping today. And we did, and we made an extra $30,000 in three months. And I was like, oh, it feels so good. <laughs> Got the warm and fuzzies. It was great. I'm like, oh, let's do it again, and do it again, and do it again. And I'm telling you, we are just rolling in it. We're like, we are awesome. Until one day, I said, why would I want to flip one at a time when I can flip eight at a time? <laughs> well, doesn't that make sense? I mean, why $30,000 when you make two, four? Hello? So I went down to a mortgage office. To this point, we've been using cash, and I borrowed a million dollars. The year? <laughs> 2007. <laughs> yep, you feel my pain. Some of you are too young, Google it, recession. <laughs> a recession hit. Couldn't sell the properties, couldn't rent the properties, and I'm paying nearly 10 grand a month every single month, every 30 days on vacant homes. All the way until January of 2011. I had no money. Walked into a filled courtroom, looked a trustee in the eye, explained my situation, and because I lived in the South, she looked at me and she said, Bless your heart which is code for you're an idiot. <laughs> you're looking at a guy who filed bankruptcy. My biggest memory of that day was not the filled courtroom. My biggest memory of that day was looking into my own bathroom mirror before I left. You know what I saw? That same stoic stare of hopelessness that I said that I wouldn't that I would never do to my family. And here I was, I did the same thing. Well, that's an encouraging story. Who brought this guy in? <laughs> Why do I tell you that story? You guys ask good questions. It's not 2011 now. It's 2019, baby. And I'm telling you, we serve a God who is so good. And he's so sufficient, and he has walked us through. And my wife and I now find ourselves in the best financial position we've ever been in. Oh, it's been hard. We've been clawing back and clawing back and clawing back. But there's some things behind that, behind the fall and behind the recovery that I think we can learn from today. So raise your hand if you want to learn something today. Oh, good. It's more than one person. That's, a, that's always a danger. Like, thanks, Mom. You know. Um, so a couple lessons that I learned along the journey. Here's the deal. Before I get into lesson one, I just want to tell you, there is hope. Some of you right now, when you're talking about finances, some of you, the, the, the reality is, the stats show us, that the reality is some of you right now are in the middle of a huge financial mistake. You're clawing out of it. I mean, I'm talking about finances and like literally you're starting to get all worked up. I just want to say shame off you. 
This weekend is not about guilt. It's not about shame. I, I want to lead out with transparency in my story on purpose because I want to level the playing field. Nobody in here has made a million-dollar mistake. So I'm your biggest loser. Okay, I'm going to take that out of the room, right? Just relax a little bit. This is not about guilt and shame. It's like, what would God teach me about finances? Because you touch them every single day. Okay, I also want you to know that my number one frustration through that journey is I couldn't do more for Jesus. Because every dollar had an obligation to the past, it had no opportunity for the future. I want you to know there's hope. And I looked around, it wasn't just me. I looked to my left, I looked to the right, I wasn't the only one. Do you know 78% of America is living paycheck to paycheck? That's not an income problem, it's an outgo problem. It's not underemployment, it's not unemployment, it's an outgo problem. The average American is spending $1.26 for every $1 that they earn. Actually, 88% of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck or worse. So I'm not, and that's a stat that's continued to grow like the wrong direction since all this happened to me. So I know that there are people in this room that need this talk. I feel like it's malpractice not to talk about it. So if I were to tell you, hey, you make sure you save, make sure you avoid debt, make sure you get on a budget, that's all symptomatic. I want to take one step back, and I really am a strong believer that if you can attack a belief system for Jesus and in Jesus' name, that will yield different actions, and those actions will yield different results. You don't just go to the action. It's like telling my boys to brush their teeth, brush their teeth, brush their teeth, brush their teeth. I know your kids would never do this, but my kids brush their teeth, brush their teeth, and it's like, oh, four years. Now, they're gone past this now. This is way back. They'd be really embarrassed if I said a 14-year-old still wasn't brushing his teeth. I promise he is now. But how did he start brushing his teeth? Well, I stopped telling him to brush his teeth, and I pulled him off the side. I said, hey, there's this species called females. They're amazing. And one day you're going to be interested in them. And they're going to want you to have teeth in your head. And he's like, oh, I see. Scrubbing, scrubbing, scrubbing. I'm like, yes, baby. Right? So we got to get to the belief system. All right. I'm, sometimes I don't know where things come from. Lesson one. Don't try to own something you don't own. Lesson one, don't try to own something you don't own. Actually, that could kind of be called stealing. What do I mean by that? Chris, I mean, you guys ask such good questions. Here's the deal. Here's what Psalm 24, 1 says. The way that we live our lives right now is as if it's all ours. Our transactions, the way that we spend money. If you look, if you line up, the average salary in America is $59,600. If you were to take $100 bills or $1 bills, whatever, and spread them all out, the way that you look at the way we spend those $59,000, there's this one section over here that's for God. And all this over here is for us. And we forget that it's actually, we actually get to manage for the creator. Check this out. Psalm 24.1 says this. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Another translation says that the earth is the Lord's and all it contains. If you look up the original language for the word all, do you know what it means? All. Everything is God's. Like everything you touch, every relationship, your energy, your time, all those dollars, all those cents, they are God's. So we get to manage for the creator, the king of kings, the Lord of lords. Wow. What an honor. So we're trying to own something that's not really ours. And then 1 Corinthians 4.2 says this, those who have been entrusted to be managers, because if we're not the owners, what are we? We're the managers. We were given dominion, right, in Genesis. Those who have been instructed to be managers must prove faithful. So Chris, what does faithful look like? Another great question. 
So we're going to turn to Matthew chapter 25, and I'm telling you, this is probably, probably the best passage in the scripture that literally in one scenario explains kingdom over everything. It's right here. Not just finances, kingdom over everything. Matthew 25, 14 through 30. Now, some of you have heard this before, and I would say, don't hear this from a historical context. Put yourself in the story. Who are you? And I'm going to ruin it for you a little bit. Spoiler alert, you're not the master. So you're one of these three servants, okay, that were told to manage for the master who is God. Now, this no guilt, no shame, just an awareness, a nice, healthy conviction for us to grow together, okay, myself included. The parable of the talents or the parable of the bags of gold, this is Jesus speaking himself. He says, again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. Exactly what God's done for us. To one, he gave five bags of gold or five talents. To another, two bags of gold. And to another, one talent or one bag of gold, each according to his ability. Don't miss that. Each according to his ability, how competent they've been in the past. Wow, that's a sermon in itself. Then he went on his journey. Okay, so what did they do with it? Good question. The man who had received the five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. Boom. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. Boom. But. Oh, snap. Big butts of the Bible. Here we go. But the man who had received the one bag of gold, or one talent, went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. Code. Didn't do jack squat with it. After a long time, verse 19, after a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. All right, here it is. It's that moment. The man who had received the five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I've gained five more. Yes, I'm the man. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I can put you in charge of many things. Hello, reward. See it? I didn't write it. Come and share your master's happiness. Jump on the couch. Watch the Bears beat the Packers. (laughs) New translation. (laughs) Verse 22. The man with the two bags of gold came to the master. He said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I've gained two more. Yes. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things also. Come and share your master's happiness. I'll jump on the couch as well. Verse 24, then. It gets kind of heavy and dark here, just a warning. Then the man who received the one talent, one bag of gold, came. Uh, 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 master, he said, I, I knew that you're a hard man and harvesting where you have not sown or gathered where you have not scattered seed. In other words, I know that you work through other people. Like you, so I was afraid, and I went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. I didn't, I didn't do anything with it. Lots of excuses. His master replied, gets heavy. You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. The code word, do something with it. You should have done something with it. This is not just money. This is our talents. This is our our energy. This is our relationships. And notice this is for the master, not done something with it for the servant. The servant that we are actually, we're actually managing for him. His purposes, kingdom over everything. 
Take the talent, take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10. Don't miss that. For everyone who has will be given more and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. It gets even heavier. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, a lot of preachers around the country will just skip over that bottom because it gets so heavy and now there's this pressure on the speaker to be able to pull the energy back up. I feel like we've got to hear that. We've got, we have to hear that section. That there are real rewards to managing well and there are consequences to not managing well. That's Jesus speaking, not me. Now, does this mean you're going to get a Mercedes tomorrow? No. There, of course, there's the prosperity gospel out there. There's poverty gospel to sell all your stuff and don't live on anything. Neither one of those are the real gospel. The real gospel is gratitude. See, there's a world's way of handling money out there that's all about entitlement. You've heard it before. No one in this room's ever said it before. Nobody online's ever said it before. But it's, I work so hard for my money. Oh, I deserve. I know we've never said it, right? I've never said it. I work so hard, right? It's entitlement, right? We, 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 we talk to kids all the time, or maybe it's millennials. We're like, oh, entitled generation. No, we're just pros at covering it up. So we've got entitlement over here, and then there's God's way of handling money. It's totally different. It's gratitude. I get to manage for the King of kings and Lord of lords. Wow. He trusts me enough. He trusts me enough to manage his stuff. My wife, to manage that relationship. My kids, to manage that relationship. This energy that I have, right? My health, to manage it for the King of kings and Lord of lords. A lot of times we're living our lives just Trying to be the owners. We were never designed to be the owners. That should take a lot of pressure off us that we're not the owners. Thank God we're not not the owners. Okay, so that was lesson one. Of course, that obviously has uh, lots of uh, the ways that can live out. Some of you are not living on a budget. I'll just tell you, if you're managing the king of kings money, some of you have a budget for your job, but you don't have a budget for God's entrusted you at home. Like, to have a budget. It doesn't mean you have to have a pocket protector and have a a five-week process to put it together. Just a basic, hey, how are we going to, the Bible says where there is no vision, the people cast off restraint. Let's have a vision for the money that God's given us. You know that we've already gotten this wrong? We got pronoun problems. We've already gotten this wrong in this sermon. We said kingdom over our finances, right? It needs to be kingdom over finances or kingdom over God's finances, Right? We have a pronoun problem, my, 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 right? And it needs to be his, 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 his. I know we're talking about money in church, and some of you feel awkward, and you're like, uh, make no mistake about it, we're not worshiping the provision, we're worshiping the provider Amen. by managing the provision. Before I get on to, uh, you know, I, I, let me just go ahead and say this too, about budget, I'll just give a couple more, I'm not, give, this is not a finance talk about having finances, you can go to Financial Peace University for that. But the whole idea of debt, the whole idea of debt, some of us are swimming in debt. And I would just challenge you, if we're going to think, take Matthew 25, 14 through 30 seriously, to get out of debt and stay out of debt. Proverbs 22, 7 says, the borrower is enslaved to the lender. God wants more for us. He wants us to be the head and not the tail. Romans 13, 8 actually says, owe no man anything except for the debt to love one another. I actually think it's interesting that we can't love one another well because we're so distracted by monetary debt that we're not supposed to be in, right? 
Before I get into lesson two, let me ask the question. I know we're in finance. I've got a scatterbrain. I'm a little bit like Dave like that. I got a little like a, I don't know, rabbit trail kind of thing. Does anyone, we're talking about finances. We're going to lunch afterwards. I've taken three people to lunch and I actually forgot money on this trip. Does anyone have $100? I need 100 bucks. Somebody in the back? You have $100? Oh, sweet. See, you talk about generosity, you get hooked up. Thank you. Very kind. Sweet. That's awesome. I was just kidding. That's awesome. All right. That's great. Everyone's going to start asking for money now. Okay. Try not to let that distract you. Moving on. Did she just give him $100? Yeah, I guess so. Lesson number, th- lesson number two. Lesson number two. So that was number one. Don't try to own things that you don't, that you aren't supposed to own. Lesson number two. Generosity is the most fun you'll ever have with money. Generosity is the most fun you'll ever have with money. Generosity is the most, time you'll ever, uh, most fun you'll ever have with your energy, with your time. Okay, some of you can't get past $100. I can see it. You're like, okay, what just happened? What just happened was, what happened was, um, before the service, I planted $100. And I gave somebody to give to her $100 so I wouldn't know who it is. And I said, when I ask for $100, I want you to bring it up to me. Why? Good question. How hard was that to give you the $100, give $100 to me? Was it hard for you? Wasn't it easy? It was like, no big deal. If we were to break down, why was that easy for her to give me $100? It was not hers. All she was really doing was giving it to the owner. Okay, I'm done. Thank you for participating. <laughs> Lesson number two, generosity is the most fun you'll ever have with money, especially if you get it, that it's not yours in the first place. Right now, we can walk around like this, like, oh, I don't want to give it. What's never yours, <clears throat> right? You've got to be wise. You've got to be responsible. You've got to pay some bills. But at the end of the day, how many of our bills are for luxury items? I'm myself included. I'm not throwing, I'm not throwing shade. My kids taught me that one, throwing shade. <laughs> What's up now? All right, so generosity is the most fun you'll ever have. We saw saw the Haiti trip. The kids went down there for the Haiti trip to be a blessing. They came back and they were blessed. Why? Because generosity with their time was the most fun they'll ever have and their money. It's the most fun they'll ever have. Um, Probably uh, about six months ago, I was having a horrible morning. I know you guys have never had a horrible morning, but I did. I had one. Uh, I got dressed for work, went downstairs, was eating my breakfast, and I spilled it all over my shirt. Okay, went back upstairs, got changed, and my wife and I got in a huge, intense fellowship, if you will. <laughs> and then uh, I went downstairs, and my kids were being uh, less than collaborative. It was just one of those mornings. And um, so I just, I was mad, and I didn't handle it very maturely. I've grown since then, don't judge me. Got in my car, sped out of the driveway, and took off down the road. Well, I was feeling good about myself, like, yeah, I put my foot down, whatever. And uh, then I hit dead stop traffic. Not only did I hit dead stop traffic, but my drink that I was carrying now went all over my pants. <laughs> Khakis. And uh, so I'm like, what do I do now? This is ridiculous. I'm so upset. So when you, I didn't get much sleep the night before, and you're upset, you're agitated, you need caffeine, where do you go? Of course, you go to Starbucks. 
So I went to Starbucks. Starbucks, you know, I got in that line that wraps around the building. Probably the last place you want to go when you're agitated. I finally get up to the window, and this cheery little barista with a smile on his face stuck his head out there, and he said, here's your drink. And I'm like, yeah, thank you for your drink. And I went to go pay, and the coolest thing happened. He goes, no, actually, sir, the car in front of you paid for your drink. You're good to go. And I was like, oh, snap. I was so excited. I was like, yes. I immediately was like in a, in a good mood. I'm like, this is great. Without even having to think about it, I immediately go, well, I want to pay for the person behind me. What I learned in that moment is when you're truly grateful for what you got, it makes you want to give. If you're truly grateful for what you got, it automatically makes you want to give. You don't have to think about it. So I said, I'd like to pay for the person behind me. And he didn't show a whole lot of emotion. I was like, I'm kind of a big deal. That's kind of a, I'm pretty generous. <laughs> like, that's a pretty generous thing for me to do. He's like, okay, whatever, yada, yada, yada. I'm like, does this happen often? He goes, all the time. We're always counting how many cars it'll go. Who's going to mess it up? So I was like, whatever. So, so I'll, I'll pay, whatever. I go, how much is it? Eight fifty. I said, eight fifty. What are you drinking back there, liquid gold? I was like, You're crazy. That was three bucks. Anyway, I reluctantly gave a $10 bill to this guy and uh, gives him my change back. And I'm, I'm, I'm realizing that I'm pulling out of the Starbucks line, not only with a fresh drink, but a fresh attitude. And, and keep in mind, my drink was three bucks. It was eight, and I was leaving in a better mood. Like, how does that work? I'm like, wow, I couldn't, I couldn't even help it but to pull out of that drive-thru and look back in the rearview mirror. That chick was doing a straight-up whipping nay-nay back there. It was awesome. She was so excited. So did you guys know there's actually a Starbucks verse in the Bible? There really is. There's a Starbucks verse in the Bible. Here it is, Proverbs 11:25. The generous person will prosper. Okay, that's not really the part. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. It was right there. I refreshed and I'm leaving refreshed is a Starbucks verse. That right there is my, my life verse now. Not because of that moment. That's kind of weird. But... I just, I've seen that so much in my life with my time, with my energy. I've seen that in other people's lives that when we refresh others, we're refreshed. Some of you need refreshment. There's 20 or 30 of us kind of buzzing through here praying for 20 minutes this morning. And our biggest prayer is that people are going to come in here not refreshed and they need to leave refreshed. You want refreshed in your community, in your family, here at church, wherever, be a generous person. When you're truly grateful for what you got, what he's allowed you to manage, it just spurs generosity. You could say this, generosity is the currency of gratitude. Generosity is gratitude in action. And I'll go this far and tell you that silent gratitude is useless. Generosity, it's the most fun. Imagine this, if we were all to leave here right now, those of you online, you're going to leave wherever you're at, we were to go out in the community and we were to sow like $10, $15, $20 out in the community each. Maybe it's a widow. Maybe it's a single mom. Maybe it's a, uh, an extra tip for the server. And we were all to come back in here and tell our stories. How fun would that be, right? Who would be the biggest beneficiaries of that practice? Not the recipients. It'd be us. We'd be all in here with our giver's glow, won't we? We'd be like, yeah, dude, guess what I did? Guess what? This is so much fun. Oh, you should have seen her face. Oh, it's so great. We'd be lit up like the 4th of July. Winston Churchill says it this way. He said, we make a living by what we get. We make a life by what we give. Folks, I'm not 11 anymore, but I have an 11-year-old 
And my 11-year-old just had a birthday. And can I tell you that this next generation, oh, you better believe on our 11th birthday. You might be asking, what did an 11th birthday look like? Oh, let me just tell you. I walked up to her. I said, hey, baby, you like those bounce houses? You like these friends? You like all the laughter? You like your presents? You like your ice cream cake? She said, yeah. Not in an entitled way. And I wasn't asking that stuff in a prideful way. All I was doing was taking a moment to just reflect at how good God has been. When we really get this right, I got it wrong for so many years and you look where it got me. And then for these last, whatever that is, eight years, I feel like I'm really starting to understand who the owner is. And now the next generation is going to look different. It's not a mistake. Listen, when we're generous, when we're good, faithful managers, there are rewards. You heard that right. That makes some of you feel very, very uncomfortable because you think I'm going there. And I am going to go there. We just read it in Matthew 25. Here are the rewards that you'll receive. Sometimes it's external. It might be a paid off bill out of nowhere. It might be a check in the mail. Shoot, it may be a Mercedes the next day. I don't know how God works. I don't know what it is, but sometimes he does do that. Sometimes it's internal rewards. And it's just comfort and joy and peace, spiritual intimacy. It's unity with God. And then there's eternal rewards of crowns in heaven, of being a great manager here on earth. Let me just tell you, this is kind of like give you a chance too from my perspective. I've got a couple more minutes with you to kind of give you a little bit of a, I don't know, state of the union, state of the finances uh, here at Alpine. And there is absolutely no pressure to give here. If you feel pressure to give here, don't. Uh, I don't, because the Bible says to give cheerfully and not like manipulated, so don't. I just want to let you know some things that you need to know. Uh, I used to work for Dave Ramsey and uh, used to travel all over the country with Dave and fill arenas and talk to lots of people and do all that stuff. And I left there about a year and a half ago because of this whole idea of kingdom over everything. Because I felt like my, my life was getting more and more in the spotlight and more about me and less about God. And I wanted to get back to the local church. So I started helping local churches. One of those local churches was called Alpine Chapel in Lake Zurich. And I started helping Lake Zurich and helping Alpine Chapel in Lake Zurich and coming in for a couple meetings and I couldn't help it. I was like, I can't just help. I want to be on staff. I want to be in the weeds. I want to be in it all. I was so drawn to the integrity and leadership, the character, the competent team, the passion, the zeal, the true anointing that's in this place. Not just in the staff, but also in the people. Y'all sucked me in. <laughs> then I got under the hood a little bit more and realized, man, I want to give here. I, 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 there's a, uh, first of all, this church uh, models generosity by giving well over 10% with no strings attached. That's very rare in today's world, and I just want to applaud that. Number two, integrity and leadership. Number three, an actual non-paid lay board of elders and a finance committee that goes through every major purchase with a fine-tooth comb. I've never been more proud to be part of a church. And I'm actually currently working, the budget just ended yesterday, and I'm working on letting you guys all know that and giving you some, giving you some things you can be proud of. You can feel comfortable about your investment here. I just want to tell you a little bit about that. Not only do I feel that, I want to model, and I actually want to up my giving here. 
five more percent over the tithe. Listen, I asked somebody this the other day. I said, hey, um, I, I, I want to model this. And it's actually Robert Morris. I don't know if you guys know Robert Morris at Gateway in South Lake, Texas. He's actually probably the best stewardship pastor, I would say, in the country. And I said, I said, where's the line? And he said, the line between modeling and bragging is your heart, is your motives. And hopefully, you guys, I just spent 30 minutes with you. Hopefully, you know my heart by now. I just want to model and lead. And I don't want to tell you guys to be more generous if I'm not going to be. As I've dove into this material, I feel like God's telling me to up five more percent than what I was already giving above and beyond the tithe. So I just want you to know, you're at a great church. Enough for me to, to dive in like I have. And I'm telling you, I don't regret one second of it. And we're going places. When I say we, I don't mean staff. I mean we. And uh, God, you're going to hit Vision Sundays next week. Dave's back. He's bringing the thunder. <laughs> and uh, I'm telling you, don't miss next week. It's going to be absolutely incredible. Hey, a lot to take in today. The first thing is just remind yourself. Remind yourself of how much he trusts you. If you can get that neck deep and heart deep, you can absolutely, all the other things will fall into place. There's one thing to remember. God trusts you enough with his stuff. That's your big takeaway. You get that, you get it all. God, we thank you so much for speaking to our hearts today. God, I pray that there would be no guilt and no shame in this room. God, we peek at the past just to learn, but we focus on the future. God, I pray that you would have your hand over everybody in this room and they would know that you are present right there with them, no matter what they're going through. And I pray, God, that they would take this talk out of the finance bu bucket and they would put it in the heart bucket. Today was all about the heart. God, we know that if our heart is aligned with you, everything else will follow. God, we love you. We walk out in victory. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.